Hello, I'm Jeff Wilson. I'm chairman of WAM Strategic Value. Uh, we've announced the WAM Strategic Value result today. Thank you, everyone who's dialed into the webinar. This is your company. We're presenting this um, for you um, because you're our shareholders. It's myself. We've got um, Jesse Hamilton, the C CFO, who helps us do a lot of the work with um, WAM Strategic Value, and also Marty McCarthy's investment specialist is helping us. Uh, does a lot of work uh, as well on um, these undervalued growth companies. You would have seen, you know, the result. It was a a very solid result. Um, you know, with the portfolio increasing over the you know twelve month period, a little over eleven percent. Um, the good thing is our profit reserve is we're slowly building our profit reserve, and it takes time. You know, new listed investment companies to build your profit reserve, so then you can reward. Uh, shareholders with higher dividends. And the fortunate thing is, in this period, we were able to do that. Um, the dividend, you know, we were able to increase the, um, the dividend by a little over 16%, you know, which is, you know, very, very pleasing from uh, the board's perspective. We've still got a, a healthy profit reserve. Um, the Probably one of the disappointing things from the from a board's perspective and, and shareholders' perspective is the share price is trading below uh, NTA and a number of our shareholders in, in our previous presentations have asked, uh, look, you're, you're buying a dollar of assets cheaply. You know, what would the look-through value um, of all those shares you've invested in and what would that be worth? So regularly now we communicate with you in terms of what the NTA is and the, the NTA at the end of the, the uh, period was $1.17 and the look-through value of the portfolio um, is $1.34. So to me, you know, buying a dollar of, you know, sorry, buying WAM Strategic really, um, you know, you, you are getting great value in terms of discount to assets um, and look through uh, discount to assets. Now, this is how we want to run this is pretty much uh, open to Q&A. Um, because there has been a lot of questions that have already been sent in. And thank you for Thank you for doing that. Um, and uh, our mediator today, I'm pretty sure, is Camilla, um, one of our uh, comms, our senior comms um, people, uh, and they will run the, you know, the, you know, the, any any of the questions you, that you have sent in already before this, uh, and any of the questions that you send in, um, you know, during the presentation. We've got a few slides, and maybe why don't I just quickly run through the slides, you know, just to give you a bit of an idea of a couple of themes we want to touch on. I've already talked about the dividend, and also with the dividend, you'll see from this, um, you know, one of, one of the early slides on dividend there that the, we've also not only talked about the dividend we're paying now, but also with the board is very you know is pretty confident and wanted to give you some guidance next dividend coming up um you know so that's you know, the plan is to increase the dividend again um in terms of just if we flip the slide you know, how the portfolio is set up you know we, we have been holding a reasonable amount of cash and that's really because you know we're buying a dollar of assets um for as cheaply as we can you know say you know use 80 cents or 85 cents 
Um, now, if you buy a dollar of assets at 85 cents and the, and the market falls and that dollar of assets falls to 70 cents, then and you paid 85 cents, great. You know, it's not a very smart investment decision. So we've been holding a reasonable amount of cash. We've run our cash down a little bit and my expectations are we will continue to run it down. Uh, and that's because there, there really are some, some great investment opportunities um, and which I'll I'll talk about a little bit. Um, myself, Jesse and Marty will talk about a little bit later. If you look at the, um, you know, that's how the portfolio is set up. If you look at, you know, they're, they're the various companies that we've invested. We've just put them in alphabetic order. It's not in terms of the most, the largest holding. We've put that in the announcement so you can see, you know, uh, but that's just the, the various, you know, some of our, our top 20 holdings in alphabetic order. The, um, the next slide is just in terms of taking you from the NTA to the, you know, the sort of the, the look through NTA, it just shows you how it's made up. Um, so it's a, a simple slide. If we flip to the next one, uh, that's just talking about the cyclicality of listed investment companies. They trade at premiums and discounts. That's Australian li listed investment companies, either the ones that invest listed in Australia, but invest in Australian equities. And if you look at the next slide, um, is really the global listed investment companies. And they're the ones that are trading at significant significant discounts. And you would have seen how our portfolio is set up. You know, that, that a lot of those are the ones that attract us because you're buying, you know, there's some, there's, there has been some great value there. And that's why we've been increasing our, you know, reducing our cash holdings. Like we were well above 30% cash yeah, now we've run, a, run the cash down further than that uh, June 30 um, figure you saw. Uh, and if you we flip on to the next, we, what we're trying to show you there, uh, and it, it really doesn't give you a good indication, but the uh, you know, someone asked me the other day, I think it could have been a journalist, um, was saying, look, where are listed investment companies going? And, and and I said, look, the structure is as strong as it ever has been. There's a competitive advantage for listed investment companies. You know, they outperform managed funds over time, and that's all the history shows you that. So there's a lot of um, you know, structural benefits of investing in listed investment companies, and they're like any sector. You know, like they are cyclical. So you have periods where there's expansion and periods of consolidation. And where are we now? We're in a period of consolidation. Uh, and that, like to me, that provides opportunities. That's when you want to be buying you know, during periods of consolidation. In, during periods of expansion, that's when people are throwing money at the sector. Um, and that had it sort of went for nearly 10 years ago. Uh, sorry, but nearly 10 years, and that was you know, probably finished a year or two ago. Um, so we're, we're well positioned. And on, I won't talk about it, but we gave you a little example of buying a in one of the slides yeah, one of our positions in terms of uh, a company makes an announcement, we see a catalyst, it's trading at discount assets. Uh, um, the company, which I mentioned, I think the last webinar, Global is, is actually um, in the process of selling its assets, an operating company, but selling its assets and giving the cash back to shareholders. Now, we started buying soon after they made their announcement. Um, that they were going to do that, um, and the company's slowly re-rating, and we'd expect the company to get, um, you know, the share price to gently move um, 
to you know the the full value of the assets that we'll get back over time, and we're pretty confident you're going to we're going to get close to two dollars a share over time. So that's the you know the, if wanted to touch on a few things. Um, probably the messages are you know, there's a profit reserve, and we are we're in a good position to continue to grow that fully frank dividend. Uh, also, the fact that you know Wham strategic value is you know, looks. Uh, very good value um, in terms of trading a discount assets and a discount to th see-through assets. And, and we're pretty confident that we'll get it to trade at NTA, if not a premium. But uh, I'm sure there'll be questions around that. So why don't I open it up, pass back to um, Camilla. Are you running the, the Q&A? Hi, Jeff. I'll start with um, thank you to all our shareholders for sending in your questions. Um, we've had a few come into the info inbox, which I'll start with um, before moving on to the ones that are coming in live. Um, and the first question that we have is come through from Mary, um, and this is for Marty. He says, have you considered investing in either emerging growth or rider capital? In each case, what are the pros and cons? Thanks, thanks for the question. And, and look, both um, ECP and rider capital provide shareholders with a diversified portfolio of small to medium-sized companies through the LIC structure. Both are trading at a discount at the moment. Um, starting with ECP, you know, it's, it's relatively small from a market capitalization perspective. It was circa 20 million market cap. And it has a really strong share price performance this month. Discount was 20%, has narrowed to about 15%. But but given the, the market capitalization, the liquidity profile and the, the concentration in the register there, we, we haven't invested in that one. Rider Capital, however, is in the investment portfolio. It's not a large position. You wouldn't have seen it in the top 20 on the slide that Jeff went through earlier, but it is there. And um, again, you know, if you look at Rider Capital, strong long-term performance from the team. Um, their short-term performance sorry, has been challenging just with the underperformance in the small and mid-cap sector. You know, the discount there was about 4% uh, at the end of June 2022. And um, that was 18% at June this year, uh, and it has widened slightly on my numbers into July. And um, so at a 20% discount, you know, much larger ma market capitalization, that would be our preference over the two. Um, and it is in the portfolio, but, but good question. Thank you. Thanks, Marty. Um, Jeff, this next question is for you. It's from Andre. He says, he is, in, he is curious about the feedback you receive when taking positions in targeted companies like QVE. He asks, what actions you and the team have taken in the past, apart from takeovers, to get management of these companies to change how they operate, if at all? Okay, so there's two parts to the question. What was the first part? Just give me that. Uh, he's curious about the feedback you receive when taking positions in targeted companies like QVE. Okay, let's, let's just finish. So um, the feedback that we get is, well, I mean, the interesting thing is when we go over 5%, then it's clear that we own a, you know, a substantial position in that company. And, and we tend to get feedback. Sometimes the, the company reaches out to you. Um, and like sometimes you've already been in discussion with the company beforehand, they've seen you become a shareholder. Um, but the more interesting thing is when you go over 5%, a lot of other shareholders um, you know, actually contact you and they download their view of the company, whether they're happy or disappointed with the performance and 
whether they see us taking a position as a catalyst that will change things. Um, and then like that's happened in QBE uh, and, and the, you know, the, the company has um, reached out to us to catch up. Ma Marty's, I think, planning on seeing them in the, in the near future. So that's the first part of the question. What was the second part, Camilla? He asked, what actions you and the team have taken in the past, apart from takeovers, to get management of these companies to change how they operate, if at all? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just on a case-by-case -case basis. The What we believe the closed-end fund need, what they need to do to trade at NTR if not a premium, is, you know, first of all, you need to perform. You now, secondly, you need to have a fully frank dividend uh, potentially a grow, you know, pre preferably a growing stream of fully frank dividend because yield's a big driver. And it's always been a big driver. We, when interest rates were high or, or low from investors, um, and particularly you know, closed-end funds, yield is a big driver. And the marginal buyer of the listed investment companies in Australia is self-managed super funds. So that's that. Also, um, companies have to treat shareholders, and this, this applies to every listed company, not only closed-end funds or listed investment companies, treat shelves with respect. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of you know, boards, and this is, I'm not talking about listed investment companies, a lot of boards, you know, unfortunately, sometimes don't uh, do that. And the last one is to have a really cohesive shareholder engagement, um, marketing, uh, communication strategy. And, the, and it just depends whether we, um, you know, I mean, I'm, we're very happy to explain that to companies. Uh, you know, some are open to it, some uh, attempt to do it, and some decide that they really don't want to commit the amount of resources to actually achieve, you know, the share price uh, equilibrium, effectively, the share price trading at NTA. Uh, and it does require a significant amount of effort uh, to do that. So, yeah, so that's, you know, we're very open for discussion with them. And for us, Sometimes it's the carrot and sometimes it's the stick. Now, we'll, we'll, you know, dollar of assets cheaply, and we hope that we'll get a dollar back one day. Uh, and um, now we 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 don't want we want there to be more listed investment companies because it creates more opportunities for us. We don't necessarily want there to be less listed investment companies. Now, unfortunately, sometimes the boards decide that's the best way to go, and sometimes, yeah, you know, makes sense for you know, uh, there to be corporate activity there. Um, which you know, we've been a beneficiary of from time to time. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, this next question is for you, Jesse. It's from Colin. Are you looking at Global Masters Fund? He's noticed it's trading at a large discount to its NTA. Great question. Thanks, Zoe. <clears throat> Look, we have looked at Global Masters Fund. Like, I think at face value, it's trading at around a 30.6% discount to its underlying asset backing which obviously puts it in that attractive range. But when you actually dig into the fund's highly concentrated portfolio, so there's around, I think, 61% in Berkshire Hathaway, around, I think, 23% in ECP Global. And the register itself, I think, is almost 54% held by the managing director. So whilst there's an attractive discount there, it's very hard to see a catalyst that would mean that we'd make an investment in the fund at this point in time. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, and we'll stay with you. Um, this question has come through from David. Have you thought of including the value of franking credits in the monthly NTAs before tax? Yeah, good question. Like, look, from a pure accounting perspective, the franking credits are an off-balance sheet item. 
So you actually can't include it in the NTA, um, sort of the pre-tax NTA. But it has been something that like from a listed investment company sort of sector perspective, uh, both Jeff and myself work closely with the industry body that looks after listed investment companies and listed investment trusts. Uh, like a, a number of months ago, I think almost a year ago, the ASX has been going through a big consultation period for listed products, uh, listed investment products generally. And that's looking at all the disclosure and the reporting um, that all the companies put out, whether it's the monthly NTA or annual reports. We are looking at trying to standardise that NTA reporting uh, and to help sort of, I guess, identify key things that sort of, I guess, investors need to look out for each month. One of those is tax payments. Now, any good company that discloses um, their tax payments each month should have a sort of a footnote at the bottom of their pre-tax NTA. Some people don't disclose it. We think best practice is when you pay tax and generate franking credits as a result, you should footnote that in your NTA announcement to sort of indicate that to investors. So you can keep track of it from the annual report and the monthly NTAs from time to time, but it isn't something unfortunately that you can include uh, in the NTA itself. And one important thing about franking credits to remember is like when companies declare a dividend, yes, they need to consider their franking balance, but they don't actually need the franking credits at that point in time to declare the dividend. Franking's on a cash basis, so you need to have positive franking account each 30 June, but some companies will go in and out of a franking deficit intra-year based on their forecast tax payments and their planning around it. So just always remember when you're looking at an annual report uh, for any list investment company and you see the franking balance, you just need to consider that when companies are declaring dividends, they don't need the franking at that point in time. And obviously an annual report is just at 30 June. You just need to have positive franking by 30 June next year. So as long as com companies can, I guess, adequately plan and confidently know that they'll have the franking credits, that's how d dividend decisions are made from there. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, and Marty, we'll go back to you now. This question uh, is from Kevin. He says, given the current share price, is war buying WAM Capital? Yeah, thank you. Look, it, it is not. Um, war is not buying and doesn't hold WAM Capital. Um, you know, when war was set up um, or when we, we listed war, you know, the, the thesis wasn't that we would hold other Wilson Asset Management products at a premium or a discount. Uh, and despite, you know, a little bit of recent share price volatility for WAM Capital, it is still trading at a premium to NTA. You know, the premium today is, is around about 5 to 6%. You know, it's, it's down from long-term averages. You know, WAM Capital has averaged a premium of between 18 and 25% on average over the last three to four years. It peaked at 31%. So WAM Capital might look relative at a, at a um, historic premium um, compared to historic premiums, but it doesn't fit the investment process for WAM strategic value. Um, it's not a discount, so we wouldn't consider investing it even if it was within our... Um, within our wheelhouse. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, and just, and just on that, Camilla, and you know, just covering off um, what, what like wise WAM global investment portfolio, effectively it's, you know, we didn't, we didn't buy shares in WAM global. We, we bought shares or we own shares in Templin you know, and their allies listed investment company and WAM global took it over. And we had a choice to either take cash, you know, which, or, or take sh shares, the cash alternate you know, was about a 6% discount to the value of the shares. So we decided to go, um, you know, to go for the shares. Probably in retrospect, we should have gone for the cash, but you know, it's hard. And when you're taking a five or 6% haircut, 
it's it's very hard decision to make that decision. And the plan is with Wham Global, look, we'll roll out. Now we're pretty confident. It was trading at a premium to NTA before it made the takeover bid, a doubled in size. Yeah, so, um, and what we've noticed is a significant amount of the Templeton uh, shareholders that came across to Wham Global have been sat, have, have sold. So broadly, Wham Global's had to absorb all that selling, uh, which is, you know, well, maximum 50% of the value of Wham Global, uh, and then absorb it all, and then you know, move up. And you know, we're, we're pretty confident that that'll happen over time. Sorry, um, Camilla, just cutting you in there. Thanks, Jeff. Um, we'll actually stay with you. This question is from Jake Jason, and he asks, charitably minded, minded licks like Future Generation Global and HM1 are at decent discounts. Would, you, would war ever buy into these? Well, first of all, you know, as in Wilson Asset Management, we're involved in you know, obviously the two future generation entities. So they're off, uh, as sort of Mark said, anyone in our our stable, you know, the plan is not to buy shares in them. Um, if we own shares in the, in another company that's taken over by these companies, then you know, that may be the case. And just, just to cover off actually on WAM Global is there's not there's no benefit we're not double dipping on fees you know we actually if we own you know the wham global example it took over templeton we own shares in templeton we end up with wham global shares so therefore we net off you know we actually don't get a, a fee um for that part of the portfolio um, there's only one fee charge not two fee charge in terms of buying shares in HM1, you know, I'm on the board of HM1. Again, you know, it's, a you know, it's a philanthropic investment vehicle. Um, you know, our sort of, in terms of our, you know, trying to find a catalyst that's going to uh, re-rate them. I, I can see the catalyst. Um, would we be a catalyst to, uh, you know, as I said before, use you know, the carrot and the stick? I probably, we probably really wouldn't want to use the stick on those you know, philanthropic investment vehicles. So you, it's probably fair to say, you know, they appear out, out, of, um, uh, out of our investment um, universe. Thanks. I know Tim. I say that, but like in theory, you know, yeah, like if they, <laughs> they could be, I say that, but there could be situations, you know, you know, say if they're trading at a 50% discount NTA and we're very confident there's gonna be a catalyst yeah, then yeah, maybe if it's a short term, but but we won't we won't be the catalyst in terms of making a takeover bid for them. I suppose that's probably the best way to say it. And and the plan is not to buy them. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Jesse, Mike has asked, why is AMP included in the portfolio? How does it fit the investment strategy? Good question. So, like GDC that Jeff mentioned before, <clears throat> AMP and GDC they're one of our direct discount opportunities. So outside listed investment companies and listed investment trusts, the portfolio has the ability to invest in those other listed companies that we believe are trading at a discount to their underlying NTA or their underlying intrinsic value. And AMP was one of those first opportunities that we saw where we believe that it's trading at a discount to its underlying asset backing. Um, and there was a bit of a catalyst there with some capital management initiatives when we first made the investment. 
that the company was looking to return over a billion dollars in capital to investors over time. Now we've traded the, the position around those events and they've sort of had some buybacks at different points in time and, and paused those as well. Uh, but it's one of those positions that we still believe is trading at a, an attractive discount, like our estimated discount is around that 30 to 40% level from where it's currently trading. So it's something that fits the portfolio nicely that we believe that that discount will close over time as the company continues through its capital management side. Thanks, Jesse. Jeff, as an investor in both War and WAM Active, can you explain the material difference between the two? It seems to this shareholder like the liquidity in WAM Active has diminished since WAR it was established. Uh, well, the, the, the comment, oh, sorry, the, the supposition, listen, for, use the first part, the other end part of the question first, here that the uh, turnover in WAM actors diminished since war was created. I actually don't think that's the case. Like WAM actors has always been a small, uh, has, has been, always been the smallest one of our listed investment companies. So it always has had, uh, you know, relative to its size, um, well, because of its size, less liquidity. So I don't think that's the case. I can actually check the data and then, you know, I can give you a more informed uh, answer, but that's sort of, that's my guess. In terms of the strategies, the, um, you know, they are totally different strategies. Uh, and the reason why WAM Strategic was set up was to, um, you know, to, to really sort of purify you know, WAM Active strategy. WAM Active strategies is to buy, you know, to buy um, looking for trading opportunities you know, whatever they are. You know, it could be you know, capital raising, it could be an IPO, uh, any any short-term trading opportunities. Um, and that's what WAM Active's always done uh, and it continues to do. Um, historically, before we you know, bought, you know, before we moved the uh, discount asset plays out of WAM Active, that WAM Active also had the discount asset plays. And that was only about 10% of the portfolio. So 90% of the portfolio was you know, short-term trading opportunities and still is. And WAM Active, actually, you'll see when the result came out, has actually had a, a pretty reasonable year in terms of it's gone from, it was trading at a big premium to a, a, a discount. Um, last time I looked, it was, you know, I think it was a 7 or 8% discount. Uh, so therefore, you know, if, you, if you're trying to say a 10 or a 12% premium to a 7% discount, even if your NTA stays the same, the share price falls 20%. So you know, you've got to be aware of those premiums and discounts. And that's why historically, you know, what, what we've, well, historically, but we always say is, you now when you're looking at our listed investment companies, try to buy the ones trading at NTA if, or if not at a discount, um, because you, you know, then, you, then you're not taking risk on the, them going from premiums to discounts, if that's the case. Uh, and from our perspective also, it's cyclical. So I wouldn't say there's any problem there. What was, you know, in terms of WAM Active and WAM Strategic, in terms of what they do is, yeah, WAM Active is just pure, purely the trading opportunities. Um, where WAM Strategic is really focused on, you know, on buying assets cheaply. Where um, WAM Active is buying operating businesses, IPOs, you know, placements, anything, anything they can. So, you know, they're totally different strategies. I mean, you'd, you'd argue that 
WAM active should be a higher risk and higher return than WAM strategic. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, and we'll actually stay with you. Um, what are the strengths and weaknesses of buybacks? Oh, no, let's go to Marty. Marty Marty's our buyback expert. He's done all the analysis on buybacks for us. Marty. Happy to, Jeff. And, and uh, look, I might finish off with a pass to Jesse as well and maybe touch on the, the recent changes with the, the legislation uh, and impacts that, that Frank and legislative changes will have on the um, how buybacks are conducted as well. But for us, you know, as Jeff said, the analysis that we have done on buybacks, in particular in the LIC, sector uh, and LIT sector has shown that buybacks don't have a material impact on the share price premium to di or, or discount to NTA uh, and in fact especially for those medium-sized or small-sized LICs it can cause a, a potential liquidity issue into the future so you know for us it's it, it, you know economically buybacks make sense you're buying back your own assets at a discount and um, NTA accretive for investors the psychological side of it from a, you know, particularly from a retail investor perspective, your investors want to be involved with growing prosperous companies. Um, depending on the size of the discount, it can, it can be seen that investment managers are, are void of investment ideas and, and buying back their own stock at a, you know, a marginal discount, um, you know, shows that they're void of good investment opportunities elsewhere. So um, haven't seen any evidence where it's, it's working. And if you look at the sector, you know, I think 30% of the sector at the moment is conducting buybacks and no material impact to the discounts that they've got through. Um, and, and as I said, that has been compounded by, by how the Franken legislative changes um, you know, will, will limit the ability to, to conduct those buybacks and, and impact the Franken balance as well. Mm. <clears throat> Good point on that. And something that's probably forgotten quite a bit when it comes to buybacks and it's on market and off market with the recent uh, legislation proposals <clears throat> in the Senate at the moment to do with buybacks, it's focused off off market, but it's kind of, I guess, uh, reintroduced sort of some nuances with on market buybacks for listed investment companies where companies doing on market buybacks as well as off market buybacks, you do lose your franking balance if you have it. Uh, so if you do have reserves, both capital uh, share capital and then sort of profits reserves or retained earnings and you have franking credits. When you do an on-market buyback, like with an off-market buyback now, you will lose some of those franking credits. So when you've got circumstances like Marty mentioned where it's not having a material impact and you're also losing franking credits at the same time, it, it does make the proposition less and less attractive. And more recently, talking to the head of the AIC, which is in the UK, they have an industry body uh, that looks after their closed-end funds, so their listed investment companies and listed investment trusts, and talking about that market, which is much more mature than the Australian market. And, and the topic of buybacks came up, and I think it was very quick from the CEO of, of the industry body to say, buybacks don't work in the UK either. I think they're used more frequently, but at the same, uh, I guess, philosophy, they actually don't work in closing the discounts. Um, they are something that some people expect, but they have the same problems with them globally as you do domestically with the effectiveness of them. And at the end of the day, he was saying that sort of the performance and the communication side and, and paying a yield is much more effective in closing discounts than a buyback. Thanks, Jesse. Jeff. Hey, and Camilla, Camilla, I just can't let this go here because like Jesse's made a point that I hope all shareholders understand um, that the proposed legislation that 
the government's got in front of them this moment, at the moment, refranking, that we've been, you know, sort of fighting hard against. You know, there's two parts of it. There's chapter four and chapter five. Chapter five is the Senate committee has said, hey, look, it's probably got a bit, it's not perfect. But chapter four, no one's, you know, the Senate committee has said, hey, look, we'll just let that, wave that through. That's the one that's trying to stop, you know, say the BHP from doing its off-market buyback, you know, when it provides a fully frank dividend to shareholders. In that legislation, which unfortunately a lot of people haven't picked up, but Jesse you know, quite you know, really and smartly picked up, that's going to affect every company in Australia uh, that ever does a buyback. They're going to lose franking credits, whether it's on market or off market. It's just one of those appalling unintended consequences of this change in legislation. So if anyone, the only way we can stop it now is stop it in the Senate. Um, if anyone know, is in Pocock's electorate or, or Lambie's electorate, please you know, contact us. You've got to go and see these people. They're, they're the ones that can change this for like all Australians. So, you know, it is just, it's just an unintended consequences, you know, which is just totally unfair that a company is just doing a normal buyback and it's going to lose franking credits. And, and just not to keep going on about it, obviously, because this is wall focus, but anyone who might be an investor in EAI, like I think we've seen a live example of chapter four of the legislation or schedule four coming to fruition where there's an, a clear unintended consequence. And it's not just the buyback, there's hidden in the legislation that if you do a selective capital reduction and EAI was planning to change from sort of a, I guess, a closed end structure to an open ended structure. And as part of that, there was a special fully frank dividend and a capital reduction that was going to happen. Um, unfortunately, because of the sequence of events and how they'd planned the timetable, they were going to be still listed when they were doing the special fully frank dividend and the capital reduction. And this legislation applies to listed companies and therefore doing the selective capital reduction, they would lose the franking credits that they were intending to distribute to shareholders, which just logically should not happen in such a corporate restructure. So it's incredibly important that that part of the legislation is, is still looked at and amended before it gets passed in the Senate. Thanks, Jesse. Well, in, in theory, in theory, it should be, but it's not going to be. Hmm. You know, the, the Senate said, hey, no problem, waved it through. And yeah, you know, unless unless some of our shareholders, you know, we, we unfortunately we don't have the power. The shareholders or the individuals have the power to put pressure on the senators, you know, to get them to vote the right way. But we can please ring us, contact us. We're happy to take it through it. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, this is this next question is for you. Uh, it's a two-part question. Do you have any thoughts on Nick Bolton's move to Magellan? And what will war be doing with its options? Sorry. First of all, the, the second part of the question is easy. We don't own any options in in uh, in, in you know, the Magellan LIC. Um, what was the first part of the question? Do you have any thoughts on Nick Bolton's move on on Magellan? Uh, well, I think I was quoted in the press the other day saying that you have to be incredibly naive to believe that the options. Um, that Magellan will do something to change the capital structure before those options expire. Uh, and the only way those options are of any value 
is if the share price goes up above seven a seven and a half percent discount. Uh, and I think what Nick um, was hoping that there would be, um, you know, that they would do a buyback you know, before those options expire. And Magellan, you know, they, my belief is they won't do that. So I would assume will expire worthless. We don't own it. Um, yeah, maybe that's yeah. Um, yeah, we own the listed investment trust. Yeah, we bought it at a 20, 22% discount, I think. Marty, what discount is it at the moment? Magellan, I, it's we're... A little under 15, I think, at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's right, 14.4 or something like that. So, yeah, so we've already made a little bit of money and that performance has been solid. So, uh, I mean, it, we hope that the discount narrows. It could be corporate activity after the options expire, but there won't be anything before. That's, that's our view. Could be wrong. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. We'll stay with you. Um, and you did touch on this earlier, but could you please explain the look through NTA in a little bit more detail? Yeah, the look through NTA, there was actually a question of uh, either one of the webinars or results or when we're on, you know, doing, um, you know, presentations to our shareholders at the road shows. Is one shareholder said, look, you're buying a dollar of assets cheaply, uh, maybe you're buying at 80 cents or 85 cents, 90 cents. Well, you know, so you believe though those companies you're buying will go to NTA one day. What, what, what would be, uh, and you're valuing in your portfolio at the current share price. You know, so like the NTA might be a dollar, but the current share price might be 92 cents. You know, what if you valued them at their NTA and so obviously, you know, I mentioned earlier that we are, you know, have 20 plus percent plus cash. So the cash NTA is cash and we just have that on, we're rolling 90 day term deposits. I mean, I noticed the term deposit rate the other day for 90 days was up at 5.15%. Um, yeah, so it's a, quite a healthy uh, return on, on the cash. Uh, and then on the, um, you know, so, so we value the cash at cash uh, at, at NTA, uh, um, and then the other companies, you know, like if it's, if it's, um, like Magellan, we we're talking, you know, trading at a 14.4% discount, you know, then we would actually, the look through NTA is saying, what is the real NTA of Magellan? And if we, the number of shares we own multiplied by the NTA, um, you know, would give us the, you know, of all the listed investment companies or all the ones trading at discounts to NTA, would give us the look through value. So effectively, if, if all the listed investment companies that we own trade at NTA, then we would, the, our NTA would be the look through value NTA, which is, well, was, was it, what is it now, Marty? The, the one we're quoting. 34? Oh, is that, is the 34 one, how, how recent is that? End of June. Yeah, so, there's been a little bit of performance, so it's probably a little bit higher than that. Thanks, Jeff. A lot of the fund is comprised of global licks, which rise and fall with the market. Given the war strategies to make money on discounts closing, wouldn't it be wise to have some offsetting shorts in global indices to reduce the market risk? And that one's for you, Jeff. Yeah, like it could be. I mean, that's, that's a fair strategy. You can neutralize everything. Um, 
uh, we, we haven't gone that way because in theory we're trying to, you know, over time the market goes up. Now, so, um, you know, conventional wisdom was, you know, the market goes up about 10% per annum, the equity market, our combination of capital and income. So, you know, we want to get that benefit for shareholders. Now, if, if we shorted, you know, if we neutralised our portfolio, then we'd only, we'd only make the, dis, the discount, the, the closing of the discount. We're, we're, you know, we think it's better, A, to make the closing of the discount over time, but also to get that free kick of 10% per annum over time. Thanks, Jeff. Marty, we'll go to you now. Could you please explain, with buying other licks and lits, how you decide of how, mu of how much to buy? Yeah, thanks. And look, I guess it's a, there's no rhyme or reason or, or straight formulaic answer to it. You know, it is really what is the opportunity set? What is the discount? What is the catalyst and, and the, the duration to ca catalyst as well? Um, you know, how short term will that catalyst be? Um, and what is the liquidity profile of the company we're investing in? What are the risks that you can't neutralize? What risks are you taking for that expected return? And um, you know, if there was a, a clear catalyst or a catalyst becomes clearer or nearer term, what you'll tend to see is us increasing our weight. So, you know, you don't want to have maximum weight too early in the investment thesis. You want to be able to build that position Build your build your weight as your conviction and, and the timeline to to realise and that value becomes clearer and closer. So um, all the weights in the portfolio are pretty dynamic. We're moving them around, um, and it, you know as we're getting closer to NTA parity, we'll reduce, um, or or as, as a catalyst becomes clearer, we will lean into an investment and and um, you know take a bigger stake in a company that we think we can generally those strong risk-adjusted returns for investors. Thanks, Marty. This next question is from Philip. With regard to the historical small cap value compared to large caps, is war investing in more small caps? Not really, no. No. Jeff, we'll stay with you. Uh, will war be able to increase its dividends hey, in the hey, future? It was probably a bit cheeky. I was probably a bit cheeky. <laughs> If you look at like just if you if you look at the slide we put up there in terms of where the you know, portfolio's position, um, it's mainly you know it's got obviously significant cash weighting, so we're beautifully poised to take opportunities, uh, and also it has a quite a large global um, weighting. And then it's got Australian equities, uh, and it really just depends how many listed investment companies. Um, but but the listed investment companies that we've got investments in uh, in Australian equities, they tend to be. There's not that many. There's a few little small cap ones in there, and you'll see in the top twenty list. Um, but it's it wouldn't be the majority of them. Sorry, it's a more fuller answer, Camilla. And what was the second question or the first question? Do you think War will be able to increase its dividends in the future? Well, that's you know that's you know, the the board was trying to show you know quite clearly the plan. Um, we, uh, we announced that with this dividend, an increase on uh, you know twelve months ago, uh, and we really wanted to highlight that the next dividend. You know, the plan is to increase that on twelve months ago, uh, and in terms of really, it's a function of the performance of the the underlying portfolio of all. Now, if the underlying portfolio continues to perform, 
then we'll continue to grow the profit reserve um, and, and we'll continue to grow the fully frank dividend. Thanks, Jeff. Marty, we'll go to you now. With Elliston, have you fully exited Ellerton Asia? And do you have any thoughts on how the conversion was carried out? Yeah, look, we have fully exited that investment upon the conversion. There was the you know market maker in place on market for on market liquidity at you know a small discount to NAV, and we actually exited off market, so we got any NAV less transaction costs through that off market. So we're able to realise the discount there on how the transaction was carried out. You know, Jesse and Jeff have both touched on the potential franken implications. Just to quantify you know, how that's gonna impact shareholders, the value of franken that could potentially be lost there um, because of the timeline and, and, and the way the transaction was structured is 3.3 million. So it's 3.3 million of franken credits that could be lost um, should these legislative changes get passed uh, and should you know, one of the unintended consequences there, Elliston, fall into that trap. So. And um, for us, I think there's learnings to be to be had should these legislative changes be passed. Um, but we have exited the investment and, and we kind of wait. We'll continue to work with the team at Elliston, their lawyers and their tax partners um, in relation to those unintended consequences. And hopefully, um, you know, we can we can rectify that um, with shareholder support. Yeah, and, and like it's just appalling that this is happening to the Australian capital markets, but it's the government. I, I don't know if the uh, the treasurer is smart or dumb. You know, like someone's pulling the wool over someone's eyes. Jesse, with the suggested changes in the franking credits by the government, are, di are dividend reinvestment plans now or in the future likely to be risky for war? Look, really good question. Um, it's, it's really hard to tell until we see what amendments get proposed through to Schedule 5 of the legislation. So that was the one that the Senate inquiry uh, said that there are, like there needs to be changes. That was their recommendation, uh, given there's clear unintended consequences. Under the initial drafting, um, unfortunately, it looked like dividend reinvestment plans, which is a form of capital raising, could be caught under certain circumstances of the legislation. Uh, which we don't think it should. So hopefully, um, and I'm obviously not speaking confidently because we haven't seen any revisions, but hopefully those unintended consequences, um, as well as all the other significant ones that we identified are addressed um, and dividend reinvestment plans are not impacted in the future. Thanks, Jesse. Jeff, we'll go to you now. Can you, I think you've touched on this, but can you please explain why war still holds WAM Global um, given it's a related fund? Uh, well, the I sort of touched on how it's ended up in the portfolio. And the reason why it's still there is because it's trading at a, you know, Wham Global was, you know, was trading at, in, has traded at NTA historically in a premium, uh, and now is trading at a 16.6% or, or about, you know, discount to NTA. So, you know, we believe that, you know, that discount NTA will, will narrow over time. You know, why is it trading at that discount? Effectively, after it made the takeover at Templeton, you know, no one quite knew that double the size of WAM Capital, double the size of WAM Global on the wrong WAM. Uh, and no one knew exactly how much of those Templeton shareholders that took cash in WAM 
sorry, took shares in Wham Global would actually sell out. Uh, obviously, if, if none of them sold out, then Wham Global would still be trading at NTA, uh, and, we, and and we would we would have just sold out over time, and we and War wouldn't own any shares. Uh, what happened is very quickly, um, the and a lot quicker than we had anticipated. The people that accepted the shares started selling, uh, and that's where and that's effectively driven the Wham Global discount to the levels it has. So. That's a catalyst the other way, uh, um, that we we were we were incorrect in terms of our assessment there. Now, unfortunately, with investing, you don't always get everything right. Um, and you know, so in terms of where we are now, that we think that's about the worst in terms of the discount for Wham Global. So um, if, if, if an opportunity turns up where we can buy something at a bigger discount, then you know, we may sell some Wham Global and buy that, you know, sort of just trade discounts. Uh, if not, you know, we're pretty confident that the Wham Global, you know, with the profit reserve they've got, they'll keep growing that um, dividend or maintaining it. That the um, and you know, and the, all the you know the the big supply of people selling is you know, it looks like it's close to dissipating. Uh, and then it'll move closer back to equilibrium, or that's NTA. And then we we can sell out on the way, you know, when it, when that NTA declines, or discount and NTA discount declines. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Um, one of our shareholders is interested in your thoughts on Platinum Capital, which you hold a small amount of. Uh, he says it's a former market darling that traded at a decent premium and is now near record discount. Are you considering increasing your holdings and can you explain why or why not? Yeah, and the answer is yes. Uh, and and that's, a, that's one that's trading at a bigger discount than Wham Global. So actually, we, you, know, you could see that, that you, know, you could see at some point in time, you know, we may sell some Wham Global and buy that because we're getting a bigger discount. Uh, and, uh, um, and if we still believe that the catalyst will occur around the same time, then, you know, then that's a logical um, and, you know, trade for us. The, um, with Platinum, the, I think what they did is they probably misread the market when they announced the two option issues. Uh, and what those option issues, you know, short-term 12-month option issues, is you know, they actually put pressure on the share price uh, because of how they structured them. And like if we do an option issue in a company, we like to give people 18 months, so at least you can get you know, the capital gain. You know, if, if the option's worth something in 12 months time, um, and, and and we try to do them at NTA, you know, where Platinum did them at discount NTA, uh, which actually is NTA diluted for anyone who doesn't take up the option. So I think I think a lot of shareholders didn't like that, uh, and and obviously if, you know that that sort of rather being a potential um, positive for the two Platinum companies, I think it's been a, a slight negative, and and also they are having. Uh, outflows of capital. Um, you know, from time to time, you look at their you know, monthly, um, you know, the head company, the management company, and see which way money is flowing. You know, it's like Magellan's been having outflows, so it's hard to, you know, it's hard to reduce your discounts when you're having outflows. Um, you actually want inflows, so people buying, you know, putting money into your fund, so buying your LICs. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, yes, I, I didn't really answer the question because I don't want to 
Now, we'll decide exactly what we're going to do, what we're going to do. Now, um, you know, we think it's cheap uh, and we think there'll be an opportunity there. Thanks, Jeff. Can you also explain why there is such a long wait from the dividend being declared to when it's paid out? Yeah, if, if, if I was the only person on the board, you'd have a longer wait. The, I mean, the interesting thing is um, we did particularly, I think after, like say we, WAM Capital had been going for 25 odd years, I think after we are going for 10 years, a lot of people were saying that, look, can't you pay your dividend out earlier? What you tend to find is, and what we found with WAM Capital is, we did some analysis, is between announcing the dividend and paying the dividend, your share price outperforms because people buy the stock to get the dividend because the logic, you know, get, you get three dividends in 13 months, particularly if it's fully franked. So you get the, the, you get buying. Now, if you, if we announced the dividend today, which we did, and we could, we could say we could actually pay it in a couple of days time, you know, then you actually, in terms of trying to, trying to increase, you know, your buying, trying to deal with your discount or get you tr to trade at an NTA or a premium, you're actually, um, you negatively impact that because you really don't, the longer your come dividend, the more likely you've got more people are going to buy your shares. And you tend to find you get um, a lot more people buying your shares on a come dividend basis. And not, you know, some of them sell when it goes X, but the majority of them hold. So it's a way of, um, yeah, increasing demand over a longer period of time. If it was if it was just if I was just the one person on the board, I'd announce the dividend and I'd pay it. Uh, and the day I'd pay it, I'd announce the next dividend. So I'd I'd have it come dividend all year, except one or two days. Thanks, Jeff. And sorry, so there might just be one additional point to add there. And just if you look at the dividend timetable between when we go X dividend and the payment date as well, you might notice that it, it's largely the, the entire month of October. And just to give you some clarity around that, our, our dividend reinvestment plan is structured. So when we're trading at a discount to NTA, we're not issuing additional shares at a discount. We're actually going on market to buy those shares to facilitate the DRP shares for any, any person that's elected into the DRP. So that's just something that given the liquidity and given the size of wall, we just need a little bit of time in that October to actually facilitate that buying. Um, and obviously we turn that on or off depending on if we're trading at a premium or a discount to NTA. Um, and it's something that we've tried with WAM Strategic Value and looking to roll out across the other sort of Wilson Asset Management and future generation companies when they're trading at discounts as well. So it's something that we've just trialed since IPO and then we'll look to roll that out across the other listed investment companies as well. Thanks, Jesse. A question for yourself or Jeff. Um, is the profits reserve included in the NTA? And can you please explain the profits reserve? Yeah, I have to take that one. So the answer is yes, the profits reserve is in the NTA. To give you the simplest explanation, if you uh, raise a dollar worth of capital and that dollar goes from that $1 to $1.10, you've generated 10 cents worth of profit before tax, you'll pay 30% on that. So the after-tax NTA would become 1.07 and the pre-tax NTA would be 1.1 until you pay that tax. And that seven cents is in your profits reserve. So yes, the profits reserve is in the NTA. It represents the historical earnings of the portfolio. Um, and then obviously 
that those profits are generally reinvested back into new positions or into additional investments um, or held in cash throughout the year. But the profit reserve is in the NTA itself. Thanks, Jesse. And again, for yourself or Jeff, why not publish the NTA more frequently than monthly? Oh, again, maybe I'll, because I'm a little older and maybe a little crankier. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the and Jesse would probably give the logical uh, answer. Um, I mean, effectively, what we're looking for in these listed investment companies. Well, actually, let's take a step back. There is no relationship between announcing NTAs more regularly, even daily NTAs, and premiums or discounts to to NTA. So, first of all, if you announce the NTA more frequently, does it help shareholders? The answer is no. Um, so therefore, actually announcing the NTA more frequently probably slightly increases the volatility in your share price. I haven't got Marty, we haven't got Marty to do analysis on that, but Marty, there's another project for you probably after he did a lot of work on buybacks, the fact that they, unfortunately they don't work. Um, so, you know, in theory with, you know, war or with the list of escrows, we manage we want people that sort of understand what we do and that's why we try to have these as, as open and frank discussions as we can with all our shareholders um and so therefore they'll they'll know what our portfolio is and they don't need to have it every week or every two weeks or uh, every day you know, if, if they're just trading around the nta you know, there are a lot of brokers out there um it's very easy to model you know you can model our nta um, yourself just on an Excel spreadsheet or brokers model it. And so you pretty much know what the NTA is. Um, so yeah, I see, I would like less NTAs rather than more NTAs. Thanks, Jeff. Marty, we'll go to you now. Much of war is invested in licks trading below NTA. What is the value proposition for investing in Lark? Yeah, look, thank you. And, and I think, you know, with Lark uh, as well as GDC and, and AMP, you know, really is finding a company that is trading at a, a discount to where we see the intrinsic value of the company. You know, Lark's a really interesting story. It was a, you know, a, a well-recognized brand in the Australian market. It's gone through a difficult period at a, at a corporate level, um, negative publicity, you know, new CEOs came into to the company in the last couple of months, a um, bit of a change in direction or, or refining of their investment. Uh, proposition, but I think if you look at their balance sheet, they've got a large um, balance of whiskey under maturation. You know, if you go to the current share price, you know, it's value in that that whiskey. Assuming it can be sold in the future, the value in that whiskey in cents in the dollar of what it would retail at. So for us, with the the brand and the premium brand that Lark is, and the um, the quality of of Australian or Tasmanian whiskey, um, which is as a Scotsman, it's tough to say, but the quality of the whiskey that they're producing, um, you know, we've, we feel that there is intrinsic value in that in that whiskey under maturation and, and that will reflect in the share price in the future. So it's, it's not probably not a short term play, um, but, you know, medium term, we think that'll, that'll realise or it'll be subject to corporate activity. We've already seen some corporate activity in the, um, in the liquor industry. Um, so we'll see, you know, you know further consolidation and, and rationalisation there as 
bigger players see the value if shareholders won't realise it on, on, the, on the listed exchange. Thanks, Marty. Jeff, how does the fees on fees approach work for shareholders, especially given fees on cash holdings? Uh, well, the, uh, I, I'm not sure how it works. The, the, I mean, we're, we're buying a dollar of assets cheaply. Um, it's like the, the, the fee on the, on the listed investment company we buy shares in, that's the fee to have that managed. It, it's sort of the same as if you buy shares in BHP, BHP have a management team. So you're actually paying BHP to manage the assets. You're not, you're not just buying the iron ore or buying you know, the underlying assets. So I, I know people talk about fees on fees, but effectively people have to manage a company. So, um, you know, so I mean, we're buying a dollar of assets cheaply. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, the quicker we can get out of that dollar of assets, the better. Uh, but it's like buying, you know, if we buy shares in AMP, like AMP management still all get paid. So I, like to me, I, I don't sort of, I don't buy the argument which people, um, which people use. So, sorry, was that the, was it just the, how does fees on fees work? Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Oh, and fees on cash. And fees on cash, it's, it's, it's an asset allocation decision to hold cash. Uh, if we think we can make money, then we'll be invested. Um, if you, yeah, I mean, we could, you know, if you want to, if, if you don't want us to hold cash, you know, then we'll be a hundred percent invested, but that's not, that's not how the, that's not how the prospectus was, you know, put together. It was, you know, buy undervalued assets, you know, try to look for a catalyst, going to change the valuation, if not, you know, sitting cash. Thanks, Jeff, and we'll stay with you. Can you please clarify whether WCM Global Growth, with the ticker WQC, WQG, apologies, is off limits as an investment for war? Uh, this investor believes that WQG deserves to be in the war portfolio. No, no it's not off, not off limits. No, the only one that was off limits was the, oh, actually, is that the one off limits for us? No, no the other one. No, it's not, it was the other one. Yeah, we just we we um, made a bid for the other contango entity, which became a W you know, WMC entity, uh, and then part of the contango deal was yeah you know, because we accepted the buyback that we wouldn't bid again for a period of uh, years. So no, it's you know, it's one we look at. Yeah, you know, for us, it's the catalyst going to change the valuation. Um, yeah, you know, that's that's what we also we need that as well. Thanks, Jeff. Um, can you also tell us what percentage of the portfolio is not in Australian dollars? Well, in theory, the, the, the best way to look at it is if you looked at the slide, you know, the early slide that has the, um, you know, the NTAs, um, sorry, the, the percentages. Uh, let me just find the slide. Yeah, so the global LICs, yeah, that's which is forty seven point five percent. So that would that's you know all those global LICs are invested in. You know, there's the slide. Yeah, you know, most of that money, you'd say ninety. Well, 
Australia is one and a half percent of the world index. If the, if it's a you know, purely global or if it's international, then maybe it doesn't include Australia. So um, you'd say the bulk of that is is non-Australian dollars. Thanks, Jeff. And it, what currency would it be? It's <coughs> it's a basket of all currencies. Thanks, Jeff. Obviously, and well, and actually, probably, and if you want to keep thinking, you now the MSCI, global MSCI, I think, as a is is the US market about 55 to 60%, so probably 55 to 60% of that will be US dollars. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, we'll stay with you. Is there a potential for a tie-up with Global Value Fund so as to realize synergies and reduce, reduce Q, uh, Global Value Fund's key man risk? You'll have to ask Miles and Emma. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't like that. Uh, they wouldn't like that. Yeah, but yeah, they, they've got their, they've got their, they've got their own strategy, and you know, they've got their own business, and um, yeah. So, uh, it, I mean, I don't know if you know the shareholder might know all the history. Is um, the reason why Global Value is listed on the stock market is because we help list on the stock market because it, it was, um, you know, back a number of years ago, back in two thousand. To 2003, there's a whole lot of listed investment companies. In about a nine-month period, I think there was 32 listed investment companies floated. It was just a classic, enormous demand and, and an incredible supply you know, to meet that demand. Uh, and then over the next few years, they went to discounts. And the classic, you know, as I was talking about earlier, the business cycle, they go to discounts. You know, some give their money back, some get taken over. You get the activists involved. You know, there was a couple of activists, Mataj and Laxey and and Weiss, you know, from the US, yeah, you know, that were playing around. Mataj was one of them. Miles was working at Mataj. You know, I met went I was in London, went and met the Mataj guys, you know, met the you know, the guy running it, and then Miles was sort of, you know, his, his up and comer. And around that time, there was a lot of people were looking for exposure to global assets. And I said, look, you guys should come to Australia and raise some money. And so we decided, we were gonna call it Mataj, then in the end, we decided let's call it Global Value. And then Miles ended up leaving Mataj. Now Richard, who sort of pretty much just runs his own money now, said to Miles, look, why don't you manage the, keep managing the listed investment company? So that's how, that's how that came about. Thanks, Jeff. Um, and we'll stay with you. And this is actually the final question that's come through today. Um, can you can war fully take over another lick or lit? What are the positives and negatives of doing this? Yeah, we can. the The question is, you know, would we do it at the moment? Yeah, because we're trading at a discount. We'd only do it if it was, yeah, you know, if we're offering them a bigger discount. So the likelihood of us using script is small. Um, you know, then we could also take one over using, you know, just using the cash we've got. Uh, and what's the opportunity? It's really, you know, if we could make a takeover bid for a small LIC and, you know, had a dollar of assets and we, we were saying bidding, you know, 95 cents cash. So we're pretty confident we're going to get a dollar in a short period of time. Yeah, you know, we'd have to be pretty confident of that because you know, as I mentioned before, rolling TDs at 5.15%. So, you know, if we if we put 95 cents in in the market uh, just in cash for a year, we've nearly got a dollar. 
So, uh, yes, yeah, so to me that we could do that, but, um, yeah, we have to weigh all those things up. Thanks, Jeff. Um, and that concludes our questions for today. I'll pass back to you for any closing remarks. Look, thanks, Camilla. And, and look, myself, you know, on all, all the WAM um, employees, particularly you know, the ones that have been on the call today, you know, Marty, Jesse, um, and Camilla, look, thank you for the, the, the questions. They were really you know, good quality questions. Um, please ask, any, ask the questions, and it's better if you ask them in a public forum, because then everyone listening uh, or everyone watching it later gets the benefit. Uh, and to me, the, the sort of the simpler questions are the better ones, because you know, sometimes people you know, make things too complex. Um, and you can really you know, you drill into you know, um, you know, what the real issue is. So thanks very much. Remember, this is your company. You know, from my perspective, I'm disappointed because um, you know, we're WAM uh, strategic values trading at a discount. The, um, and you know, you know, I am and the rest of the team are very confident that it'll trade back at NTA if not a premium. I mean, you could argue that it should be trading you know, closer to the look through value of NTA. You know, the plan is to continue to grow that fully frank dividend uh, and reward shareholders over time. So thank you for those that have stuck with us. Um, thank you for anyone new who's joined us. And please, you know, if you have any further questions, please email us. You know, whatever the question is, because it's your company and the more you understand it, the more likely that you'll stay as a shareholder. And, it, and it's quite simple. Like if, if everyone who's owned shares in WAM Strategic holds them and one person buys a share at NTA if not a premium, then they're trading at NTA if not a premium. So that's, you know, that's effectively how you get them trading back to NTA if not a premium, engaging with all your shareholders. So thank you very much.